0: We stopped at this place called the City Museum. Now, if you've never been to the City Museum, it is like an amazing place. So, this is the kind of place where you can take a 40 plus year old guy and turn him loose, and it's like a kid in a candy store. You see, it's a place of incredible adventure, a place of discovery. And you'll see some pictures come up here in a minute. I didn't warn my kids that they're going to be up on the screen this morning, so they're probably going to kill me later. But anyway, there are some pictures up there of our adventure. So let me kind of set the stage. You see, the city museum—you would think it's a museum, but it's not really a museum. In the basement, it's this huge creation of kind of like an enormous cave structure, and you can go in there and explore and. On the main floor, they have all kinds of different things like that as well. And there's this one place in there where there's a crevice that you have to crawl through and it's only at its widest point, about maybe 15 inches, 16 inches wide, but it's about 10 feet tall and it's about 30 feet long and you have to go sideways and you have to kind of squeeze through there and it's a lot of fun. And then there's caves everywhere. There's things that look like, like in the inner city that were like crazy tunnels and when you let set me loose in a place like that like I said I'm like a kid in a candy store and it's just amazing I just go crazy but I was able to go do this with my with my kids Braden and Cassie and my niece and nephews and we just had an incredible time so much fun exploring but I gotta tell you a secret now this is gonna seem completely counterintuitive to what I just said But I have a fear of confined spaces and a fear of heights. So in order for me to truly have fun and and, and find adventure in this story or in this, this place called City Museum. I love that picture. There's actually seven kids all lined up in that picture right there with their heads. And that's that one that's only a few inches, about 15 inches wide. I tried to get through there and I wasn't thin enough but the amazing thing is being fearful of confined spaces and of heights I had to be willing to embrace those fears to actually have fun you see if I let those fears <clears throat> and those heights this right there that picture is about a hundred feet above the ground and we were walking through kind of like a cage thing if I wasn't able to To overcome those fears I would have never been able to step into that place let alone have fun and enjoy it and find adventure every step of the way there is one tunnel that's in that picture that's a picture of my feet in a tunnel and then there's this one that was about four feet tall and about two feet wide and it was about a 30 40 foot tunnel with an opening on each end For someone who's who's claustrophobic or doesn't like confined spaces, that was challenging. But at the same time, it was exhilarating. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. Often God needs to bring us to the uncomfortable places of life that stretch us and take us out of our safety zone in order to begin to teach us so that we can grow and be shaped into the person that He wants us to be, into the person He created us to be. So as we go through this message this morning, I want you to remember, that's a great picture, remember the smiles on the faces of my kids and of my niece and nephews. Because in the midst of a place where it could easily get lost and easily get Scared or lose where we are, we can still find great joy and fun and excitement in the adventure that God is walking us through when we have the right perspective. So, David found himself in a cave at the end of himself and at the end of everything that he knew to be what god had promised he was in an uncomfortable place and so these are the words he shared psalm 142 is an incredibly personal but powerful conversation between david and his father so this is what it says i cry aloud to the lord I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden snares from me. Look and see. There is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who who pursue me, for they too are too strong for me. Set Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Now, Pastor Michael, last week talked about how at times we can feel so, com- totally and completely attacked by everyone around us, even when we think we're doing the right thing. And it puts us in those valleys of depression or those valleys of just discomfort, when we seem to think we're working so hard and doing all the right things and being the right person and following God and being so faithful yet even in the midst of that faithfulness and doing what God has asked we still find ourselves in the cave all alone. We find ourselves in the valley. We find ourselves in a hole. We find ourselves in that place of despair. We find ourselves in that place of of being lost. Most of us can relate to that. Even when we think we're doing everything right for God, we still find ourselves in that cave and in that place where David's at. In complete despair. You see, David at this point in his life had been hailed as the giant killer. He had defeated Goliath and people were singing his praises and they were calling out saying that David had slain his thousands he has a new best friend in Jonathan and a new bride the daughter of Saul man everything seems to be going right as God had promised he would become the king yet at this point all of those dreams all of those things that he was thankful for, all the praises are completely gone, and he's in a cave hiding, running for his very life. The thoughts that must have gone through David's mind, because for reality, in this reality, he knew that God had said, I will make you the king. He had prophesied through Samuel that he would be king. He was anointed that, and God is is in his life, and he truly believes that this is what is to be to come about and what's to happen. He is to be the king. But how can he be the king if he's dead? Saul is hunting him. So it's in this place where David writes those words in Psalms 142. The cry of his heart. But one of the most amazing things as we look at David's life, even at this darkest moment, we know that it would be easy to stay there and remember David for this depression and this hopelessness. But what is David most known for? He is known as a man after God's own heart, a friend of God. He doesn't seem like that right here, does he? But this is a place where God is working on him, There's another guy in Scripture that I can relate to very well. We're going to fast forward and jump to the New Testament for just a moment and talk about another guy who seems to constantly find himself in uncomfortable places. Now, I can completely relate to that because through my own personality and my own ingenuity, I often find myself in uncomfortable places because I put myself there. But Peter seems to be really good at it as well. So let's look at Peter for a quick moment. You see, Peter's on a perfectly good boat. This boat's in the water and it's good. They may not be comfortable at that moment because of a storm, but you know what? He's in a boat and he's safe. So they're on the lake, they're on the sea there, and all of a sudden they see a figure walking along the water and it kind of freaks them out. So Peter, being the boldest of the group, yells out, and it's Jesus, and, and through this conversation, Jesus challenges Peter to get out of the boat. So, because Peter said, Well, I don't know if it's you or not, Peter said, Come walk to me on the water. I'm pretty certain at that moment, Peter, being a fisherman, living his life on the water, understood if he got out of the boat, most people would assume he'd sink and have to swim. And they're out in the middle. That must have been a very uncomfortable place for Peter. I don't know about you, but I would have been terrified. What? You want me to get out of the boat? Are you kidding me? But nevertheless, Jesus said so, and Peter did it. And then there's another time where Peter is on the the shore of the water, and they've just come in from fishing, They're cleaning their nets, and they're getting ready and putting things away. Peter is a fisherman, and he's a professional fisherman. That's important to the story. Because here's Jesus, who was a professional carpenter, not a professional fisherman. Walks up to Peter and says, go out and fish again. That had to be an uncomfortable conversation. Peter's the expert. Jesus is not. I don't know about you, but if I was Peter, i said, okay, Jesus, I know you're God, I love you but you are a carpenter, I'm a fisherman, we've already done that, nothing happened, we're done for the day. But because he knew who Jesus was, Jesus said, no, go out again. And so what do they do? They get back in the boats, they go out and they fish, and they begin to bring an incredible number of fish, because Jesus said so. That had to be an incredible, uncomfortable moment for Peter there, Who do I listen to? Do I listen to all of my experience or I listen to Jesus? Then again, Jesus asks him a question, and and who do they say I am? And and Peter steps up, being the one that puts his foot in his mouth a lot, and says, You are the Lord, you are the Savior, you're the Messiah. And moments later, because then Jesus says another thing, Peter says, No, that's not going to happen. What does Jesus say to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. First he calls him the rock, and then he says, get behind me, Satan. Again, that had to be an uncomfortable situation for Peter. And then, later on, Peter's really good at this uncomfortable situation thing. But they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, where they come to get Jesus. And they're confronted. Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the men. And what does Jesus do? He heals him. And he tells Peter to put his sword back in place. Peter is passionate about Jesus. He loves Jesus. He's there to fight to the death for Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He says, Put your sword away. Because Jesus knew he had to go in order to fulfill what God had sent him there to do. Another incredibly uncomfortable place for Peter. But then we find, fast forwarded into Acts, Peter's been a lifelong Jew. And he knows that there are certain things that are clean to eat and things that are unclean to eat. And so he's on this roof and he kind of falls into this kind of a, this trance or this dream, this daydream state where God begins to lower down a sheet full of all kinds of things. And he tells Peter to eat. And Peter's like, no way I'm not going to eat that. You've told me all my life, this is what I can eat. That's unclean. then again, she comes down for a third time. The she comes down and God says, eat because I have called it clean. And Peter is in this uncomfortable place of, of knowing what he's been raised to believe and what God now is telling him to do, making him incredible, incredibly uncomfortable. So why am I talking about Peter when we're also talking about David? You see, when... God puts us in places of being uncomfortable, shakes our lives up a little bit, puts us in that place of the storm or the struggles of life. That is the place where we can grow the most. That is the place where God begins to shape us, begins to reveal to us who we really are, and then begins to show us who he wants us to really be. For it's in those places where both David and Peter found incredible discomfort to the ends of themselves and began to see that they could not accomplish what God wants them to unless they were changed. And changed not by themselves, but changed through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working in them. So this morning... Before we get, go any further, you need to ask yourself this question. Am I willing to be uncomfortable so that God can work on me? How many of you are comfortable today? Comfortable in your faith? Comfortable where you are in life? Just kind of cruising along? Okay. You know what? That's the worst place to be. Yes, it can be fun at times. It, it can, there are good times when we're kind of floating along and we're good. But you know what? It's the times when we are uncomfortable, the times when we're struggling. Even the good times when we're facing a challenge and trying to climb up, those are fun times. Those are f- times of adventure and excitement, yet we're still being challenged and uncomfortable in those times. But then there's those times of struggle, of storm, of difficulty, of difficulty of being in the cave or being confronted with our own, our own inadequacies or when we're challenged to step out of the boat into the water or when we're told to change our perspective so that we can be used or changed, transformed by God. So David was at the bottom of his life out in the Judean wilderness, in a cave, all by himself. Now we're really not sure how long he was there, but we know he was there long enough to experience great despair and to pen that chapter in Psalms. And as we look at that, we see someone crying out to God for help. But we also know that God didn't leave him there very long. Because we know God answered his prayer. Now, did he change his circumstance? Maybe a little bit, but not tremendously at this point. Because it's going to be a little while before he's eight, before David is restored to where he belongs in the palace again. But for a while, he's on this journey of running. But if we look at the life of David, this isn't the only time he was on the run It wasn't the only time God was working on him. I can't help but believe that I can really relate to David because there are times when God has to just get me alone and work on me, has to pull me out of my comfort place, pull me out of where I am, and begin to work on me in a way that he cannot work on me when I'm in the safety of the palace or the safety of my comfort zone. So where are you today? How comfortable are you? How uncomfortable are you? Are you willing today to embrace the storm so that God can work on you? So discovering the way. The first thing this morning we're going to look at is the cave. Why did God lead David to a cave? Very simply, the cave is the place where David had no longer any self how often are we trying to go through this life on our own trusting in ourselves trusting in our own strength trusting in our own abilities trusting in our own wisdom god is great he's amazing He's wonderful but how often do we put him in a box and stick him in our pocket and simply try to do it on our own we do that all the time we do it every day Because we trust in ourselves. We trust in our own abilities. We trust in our own talents. We trust in our own wisdom. But then when all that falls, we pull them out of our pocket, open up that box and say, God, help me. We find ourselves in that same place as David. Wouldn't it be so better that if every single day we could wake up in that place of realizing that we cannot do it on our own? And that we desperately need Jesus to get through the day. This is the place where David has found himself. And we see that in Psalms. That he's crying out for himself. Crying out to God because he has come to the end of himself. That he's also come to the end of comfort. He has no self. He has no comfort. There are no comforts in a cave. If you've ever been in an actual cave, they are not comfortable places. Very rarely do you find a smooth surface. And when you do, there's something probably living or crawling or creeping around on it. Or it's damp or wet. Caves are not places of comfort. They're places of great exploration. They're great places to discover new things. They're great places to stretch yourself. They're great places to find something new. But they are no places of comfort. So David has come to the end of himself. He's come to a place with no comfort. And he's also come to a place of no hope. The dream that God had given him of being king right now hangs in the very balance. And as David sees it, there is no hope. For there's people around the corner who have laid snares for him. You know, when you are crawling through caves and tunnels with Kids, teenagers, most of them, and some of them are younger, they like to do things like crawl ahead and hide so that when you emerge around a corner, they can jump out and scare you. That doesn't go over really well with someone who's already terrified of confined spaces. But that doesn't stop your kids from doing those things or blocking the way out. So you have to turn around in a really small place and go the other direction while they're laughing all along. You see, David was in a place where he'd come to the end of himself with no comfort and no hope. Is that where you are today? Is Is that where you find yourself so completely under attack that you're not sure which way is up? You're not sure which way to go to find him? Or maybe you're just in a place of you don't know what's next. And you're wondering, what is God going to do? Where is he calling us? Where is he leading us? Because you've come to the end of you. You've come to the place where you're not comfortable and you have no hope. This, I want you to take a moment and let this sink in. This should not be a place of despair. But it often is. It should be a place of excitement. Do you know why? Because when we come to the end of us, God can start to work. God can start to change us. God can begin to work in our hearts, in our lives, when we let go. When we finally come to that place of realizing we can't do it. We're so underwater, we're so lost that without Him, we're done. And that's the exact place that David needed to be. Because for him to be the king, God had to rewrite who he was in many different ways. He had to make him a new creation. He had to change some very important things about his perspective. I can't help but think David had lost that idea of humility probably By this time, you know, he killed Goliath. He was on top of the world. He was being sung about even in a greater context than the king himself. No one does that. Because if the king hears it, what is he going to do? He's going to make sure you either change your song or he will get rid of you because he's threatened. So David is running. But now here's the challenge that God lays out to him. But before we get to the challenge, I want to say this. I want to repeat this a couple times so it'll sink in. Because it takes a little while for it to sink into me. So if you're like me, you need it repeated. We must enter into the uncomfortable places where God can deeply change us through Jesus for the sake of the world. So let that sink in for a moment. We must enter into the uncomfortable places where God can deeply change us through Jesus for the sake of the world. Not only does He need to do a work in us for our own sake, but the work that He's doing in your life is for the sake of those He has surrounded you with. God has given you a responsibility. He's surrounded you with people, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And He's put you right where you are so you can love them all, so you can influence them all, so you can grow through them, with them. That's a scary thing for some of us when we look around where God has placed us. So here's the challenge and what does it involve? first david sent or god sent david a new team so you're the person who's supposed to be the king he was in the palace surrounded by all the best of the best he was leading some of saul's greatest warriors he was surrounded by the best minds He was surrounded by the wealthiest of the wealthy. The most influential people in all the kingdom were all around the palace. That's where David was living with Saul. He was playing the harp when Saul would go crazy. He was in the inner circle, the inner court of the palace. Everyone who was anyone was there. That's where David was. And that's who David was learning from. That's who David was growing up with. And that's Who David was befriending. Now let's think about this for a moment. Now he's in the cave, long ways away from the palace, the comfort of the palace, the wealth of the palace, the influence of the palace. And now he has zero influence because he's hiding in a cave. So, what does God do when when David cries out? First, he sends him his family then this is who He sends them. And think about this for a minute. When you are in your deepest, darkest need, is this who you want sent to you? So all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around Him. So that means those who are are in distress in the same place, those who are in debt, those who are being oppressed, those who are discontented, those who are not happy with the way things are going, those who are scared, who are running. What kind of a team is this that God would send to David? So when David's in his darkest moment of need, God sends him a completely new team, the in-debt, the discontented, the disgruntled, the distressed. Who is God sending to you when you're in those moments of greatest despair? Do we discount those people sometimes because they don't measure up? What do you think David was thinking right there? When instead, instead of the army coming to help him, whom he was leading, or those he was fighting alongside of, or the influential people, the wealthy people, none of them came. And those are the people he's been hanging out with. Who came? The lowliest of the low. The people everyone else would have pushed aside. The people that were not worthy to have influence at that point. Man, for a leader like David, that had to be a humbling place. Does God need to humble you today? so that you're willing to work with those he's called to walk alongside you, even with all their baggage and mess that they bring along. You see, that new team also brought a new purpose with new needs. That new purpose was to lead a new people in a completely different way, with completely different needs than the people at the palace. He had to change David's complete perspective and outlook to reflect his own. God needed David to be a man after his own heart. Is that where you are today? Can you look at the people around you and see them the way that Jesus sees them? So much so that he gave his life in death, for that person can you look the people around you who are attacking you who don't like you who are grumbling or complaining or the people who are depressed or oppressed that are around you can you see them the way that Jesus sees them and love them anyway can you be willing to see the person God has put above you as God sees them not as an obstacle to overcome but as A person God placed there for you to lift up, to encourage, and to support and love. In the same way that those who God has put below you, can you see them through God's eyes with love and a desire to feed into them so that they can rise up and be better, so that they can have more influence, so they can be more effective, so that they can do more for God. Are you willing to invest because God has simply put them there? They may not be worthy of it in your eyes, but if God put them there, they are worthy in his eyes. You see, this group of people that God brought to David were exactly the people David needed in that moment because God was doing something new in his life. Then God gave him new leadership. God gave him a new team to lead, a new purpose to lead with, and new leadership skills to develop so that he could be the king that God wanted him to be. You see, as a king, it's easy to dismiss the lowly. But I can't help but believe in this moment that God was teaching David a lesson that there is no one in his kingdom not only the kingdom of God, but the kingdom that David would soon rule over that was insignificant. Think about that for a moment. In God's kingdom, no one is insignificant. Is this a lesson that God is teaching us as well? He had to teach David this lesson by putting him in a cave, running for his life. What does he need to do in your life to teach you this lesson this morning that there is no one insignificant and there is no one that he has placed in your life that is not worthy of hearing the message of Jesus Christ that you have in your heart so there's three things that we need to understand that David understood and began to pursue in this very moment the first thing is this As we learn from David, we must remember that his experience changed him completely from the inside out. And he changed him through these three words, through being hungry, through being humble, and through being smart. That first one, very simply, David was hurt enough and desperate enough to be hungry for God. Are you desperate enough today to be hungry for Him? Most of us wake up in the morning, we jump into the day, and we go all along through the day and don't even think about God until something happens to remind us. Or we trip and stumble, or somebody enters into our day and we have to adjust to it and ask God for help. Or we remember that we're supposed to pray, or remember we're supposed to read. That's a huge difference. From starting the day seeking Him first with a hungry appetite for Him before we do anything in the rest of our day. Are you so hungry for God because you are desperate for Him that you are willing to dive into knowing Him greater today and every day? Do you take for granted the relationship with you you have with him do you dig into his word do you spend time in prayer you see if we are truly to grow as david grew to be a man after his own heart we have to be desperately hungry for god desperately hungry for his word desperately hungry for the holy spirit to dwell within us to live within us we have to be desperately hungry to know him more are you desperately hungry today then we need to be humble we need to be broken people broken in such a way that we realize we can't live this life without him we've got to be broken in understanding that as a human being we are incapable of doing this on our own We are incapable of doing what God has called us. We are incapable of being the person God wants us to be without Him in our lives. Are you willing to be humble enough to recognize your need for God every single day? Are you you humble enough to realize you don't have it all together? Are you humble enough to know if you, have, if you are ever going to be successful in life from God's perspective, you've got to live it through Him and not through your own. And the third thing is smart. It's not an H word. It kind of sounds funny there. But the reality is this. We've got to be humble enough to learn from God. You see, smart isn't just having a lot of knowledge. Smart is also knowing where you are and being humble enough to realize that God is a whole lot smarter than you. Just like last week, Pastor Michael mentioned that he could probably write a book about all the things that he knows and how he knows everything to do the right way. How many of us guys out here could write a book Because we know everything, and we know how to do everything right. There's probably a lot of ladies out here that could do the same thing. Because in our own minds, we are it, and we know everything. But how many times have we been humbled because someone who knew a whole lot more than us put us in our places? Or how often have we jumped into something thinking we knew everything, and very, very quickly, we didn't know anything? Just ask a guy with well, the last time he put something together without looking at the directions. Because that happens almost every time we try to put something together. Because we know best, we can do it, we don't need the instructions. And then we get halfway in and it looks like we, it's inside out or backwards. And we have to go back, take it all apart, look at the directions and do it right. God has the instruction book of life. He's written it all out for us in scripture. And he offers us the Holy Spirit as a guide to teach us how to live it. But far too often we are not smart enough, wise enough to actually listen. To actually open up the book. And to actually ask the creator of all things, Holy Spirit help us today to live it out right. So are you being hungry and desperate enough for him? Are you being humble enough to recognize your place and your brokenness? And are you smart enough to learn from him in this moment? David was both humble, hungry, and smart. And we see that because he came out of the cave in a much better place Ready to do what God has asked. So, back to the City Museum. That place is a great place of exploring and and, an experience of thrilling discovery and an opportunity to grow and learn. I grew that day because I faced my fears and I didn't let my fears keep me from having fun. I'll be honest with you there's on the outside of that building, there are these tunnels that are made out of what looks like fencing or grating, and they're kind of bent around into a circle so that you can crawl through them they are completely transparent and the cable the wires are only a few fraction of an inch wide but you are crawling through them at about a hundred feet above the ground and so as you're crawling you're looking at the ground it's unavoidable So when you get to the middle of that and you realize I'm 100 feet up and I can see the ground and you're afraid of heights, you can either be paralyzed in that place or you can look ahead to where God is calling you and you can just go and not worry about what's below and knowing that God's going to hold you up. I really wasn't sure if that metal stuff could hold me in my mind. But I knew that if I was going to enjoy this ride, I had to just keep on going. And then I crawled through all of them, not just that one. But today, where are you? Are you willing to dive into those caves with excitement and and anticipation because you know that even when it's tough, even when it's hard, even when it's challenging, that even when it brings you to tears and to cry out to him lord help me because i can't go on without you that's just where he wants you because it's that it's at that place where you are truly hungry for him where you're truly humble and where you begin to truly realize how smart you are when you say i don't know but god does and you let him work So where are you god has you and summit church on a the greatest mission that we could possibly pursue and that's taking the message of jesus christ to the world around us you are in the exact place god wants you to be at this moment who has he surrounded you with who has he given you opportunity to influence Who is influencing and speaking into your life? How uncomfortable are you? And how can that place of being uncomfortable be used by God today? You have a choice to make. Are you going to stay in the cave or are you going to let God pull you out and help teach you Exactly what He wants you to know so that He can make you a new creation. So are you willing to get uncomfortable today for the sake of Jesus Christ and the sake of the world? Pastor Michael and I have been sharing these these three things and and next month we'll be doing a whole series on them. But the first one is this. It comes from when Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind and likewise love your neighbor as yourself when he was explaining what are the two most important or what is the most important commandment so this morning the most important things that we can do in life are so very simple yet so very difficult at the same time because the first thing is to love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all of your mind And in that place, it means you've got to let go. You've got to let go of all the other priorities in life. You've got to let go of all the other stuff and put God first. Is God your first love today? Is God your first love today? I don't know. I can't answer that question for you. Is there anything more important in your life today that gets more attention, more time, more energy, more purpose than God himself? If anything is ahead of God, then your whole life is going to be out of balance and out of whack. Because if God isn't first, then everything else is out of order. The second thing he said, love your neighbor as yourself, which is equal to the first. Now, we in, when we talk about neighbors, it's very simple. Neighbor is a person that you interact with and encounter at any given moment at any given time. But I want you to look around for a moment. You are sitting with family today. This is the family of God. When you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of the family. You are one team. Bonded together through Christ. So look around for a moment. Do you even know your family today? Do you know the person sitting across from you? Do you know the person over here, the person in front of you? Do you have any idea what their name is? Do you know what's going on in their lives? When we are family, what do we do? We walk with each other through the good times and the bad. When we are family, we support each other. We love each other because the bond is a bond of blood. When we are family... It doesn't matter what we do. We are always family. Whether we love each other at every moment or not, we like each other, we're family. Because the bond is a blood bond. When we are Christians, we are adopted in the family of Christ because of the blood of Christ. and We are bound together in the blood of Christ. So when you look across here, we are brothers and sisters. Think about that for a minute. Do you even know your sisters? Do you know your brothers? Do you care about what's going on in their lives? We are to love each other because we are the church, the body of Christ. And then the third thing is simply this, loving those who don't know Jesus, loving the world out there. Because if we are going to love God the way that he loves us, then we have to love everyone, even Those who are not like us or part of the family. We need to love the world just as much as we love the family. If we can't love the family, we can't love the world. If we can't love the world, we can't love the family. If we can't love God, we can't love each other. This morning, it may be uncomfortable to start getting to know the family. But if you don't do it, Things will never change and I hope this morning that each and every one of you wants to see change because change for the purpose of the mission of Christ is always good no matter how difficult or painful it is so here we go you have a choice this morning and I'm gonna challenge you and it's gonna make you uncomfortable Because that's the purpose of this message this morning. Because as pastors, our job is not to make you comfortable. Our job is not to make you feel safe. It's not even necessarily to make you feel good about yourself. Our job as pastors is to challenge you. It is to make you uncomfortable so that you realize that you need to change in Christ. That you need to get out of your comfort zone and let God do something in your life. Are you ready for something different in your life? Are you ready to grow? Are you ready to be transformed by Jesus? Are you ready for something better? Because believe it or not, where you are right now, there is something better. And that something better is always found in Jesus Christ. And that something better only comes when we are willing to be uncomfortable. Think about Peter. Has any of you ever walked on water? That's got to be one of the best experiences in life. But he had to get out of the boat, which was incredibly uncomfortable to do. Especially when he stopped and began to look at the wind and the waves and began to sink. Today, you need to be uncomfortable for Jesus because that's the place where he can make you move. It's the place where He can make you new. It's the place where He can make you into His image. So this morning, very simply, if you are willing to be made uncomfortable for Jesus so He can use you, then you need to be uncomfortable and stand today. Are you willing to be uncomfortable for Him? If you can't be uncomfortable among family, because, man, you know family gatherings are uncomfortable at times. If you're not willing to be uncomfortable among family, how in the world are you going to be uncomfortable out there in the world when it's really the opportunity to share your faith? So are you, being, are you willing to be uncomfortable today and stand for Jesus? If you are, then stand.